Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the very first book of the Word of God, the book of Genesis, and Genesis chapter number 29. Genesis chapter number 29. We're continuing with our series of the lineage of Christ, and we're tracing through a character study through each member of Jesus Christ's family, starting from Adam all the way up to Jesus Christ himself. And through this, we understand that not everyone in the lineage of Jesus Christ was the most perfect churchgoer. Not every single one of them were the people you want to model your life or your homes after. But they are real people that God has chosen to put that lineage through these people. We understood we started with Abraham, or with Adam. Adam had a son by the name of Seth. We can see Seth had an entire lineage mentioned in Genesis chapter number 5. That lineage went all the way up to Noah. Noah had a son by the name of Shem. And Shem had a lineage that was listed all the way through Genesis chapter number 11. We hit Terah, Abraham's father. Abraham. Then we hit Isaac. Last time we met together, we hit Jacob. And we saw that God had changed him from liar to prince of God. Now remember that each one of these lineages, because we're dealing with parents to children to grandchildren, that they are going to link together. And one of the things that we're going to see is the consequences of lives together. We saw in Jacob that he was a liar. And we know that be not deceived for God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. And that Jacob had spent all of his early life as a liar, as a deceiver, as a manipulator. And through this passage here we're going to see that the consequences of that action of him lying carried out into his life and seeing that those consequences affected so many other people as a consequence of his lying and now others lying. And if you don't mind, let's take some time and examine this passage in Genesis chapter number 29. Genesis 29, and notice with me starting at verse number 1. Genesis chapter number 29 and verse number 1, notice what the word of God says. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. And Jacob said <coughs> unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, 
Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day. Neither is it time that the cattle shall be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot, until all the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. And while he spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban with his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard of the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into the house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely thou art bone art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well favored. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Genesis chapter number 29? The book of Genesis 29, and notice with me in verse number 17, notice the phrase, Leah was tender-eyed. Leah was tender-eyed. And with the Lord's help, we're going to do a character study on Leah with the idea, with the theme as described to her, tender-eyed. Tender-eyed. Leah tender-eyed. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us grace. And Lord, I know that this is a complicated passage because of the sin involved and the consequences and the things that happen. But I'm asking, Lord, that you would help us to discern these things and that through all of the human tragedy and heartbreak, that we can see your hand all the way through it as we trace this, this scarlet thread of your lineage through these people here and through this family. I'm asking that you would give us grace and mercy now. Give me wisdom and the ability to speak beyond my own ability to get across your message. Again, I dare not trust your own. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that you would do your own work through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we study through the Bible, and of course, we're going through the lineage of Christ, one thing that you'll find out very quickly if you have an experience in your own life is just because you become a believer doesn't mean everything becomes rainbows and puppy dog tails and rainbow and unicorns and everything that God never told anyone just because you accept him because you follow after him does not guarantee that your life works out 
as a fairy tale ending. In fact, if you're going to be honest, the more that you try to serve God, the harder it often becomes with the idea of spiritual warfare. And in it, we understand that we have human element of consequences of actions. And we can see that people can make choices that affect others and hurts them. But yet through it all, we have a God that is faithful and a God who knows what he is doing. And no more is said in the case here than in the study of Leah. Now in the book of Genesis chapter number 29, in the book of Genesis chapter number 30, usually man places the emphasis on the story, the love story between Jacob and Rachel, they look together and they talk about the love. In fact, notice with me in verse 18, and Jacob loved Rachel. And so we could see all throughout here, he loved Rachel. But whereas humans like to place the emphasis on Rachel, God places the emphasis on the other sister of Leah. And whereas Rachel gets all the attention, it is Leah that God is now not only putting the emphasis, but he's also going to run the lineage of Christ, not through the well-favored sister, but through the one that's always rejected, this Leah here. And so if you don't mind, let's describe this story and let's go and explain what happens. The first thing I want to show you here is Leah's hurts. Leah's hurts. Now, Leah's name means tender-eyed, and there seems to be a good name for her because she had many hurts in her life. That as she grew up, she was the older sister, but then came her younger sister, Rachel. And Rachel was the pretty one. Rachel was the more favored one. Rachel was the one everyone put their attention on, and the older sister, Leah, was always set aside, always put uh, put in the back burner, always given second thought, if any thought at all. And so can you imagine these two young sisters? They were sisters, a normal thing, but all the attention went to Rachel. And here's Leah in the background. And she grew up with that. And that unfortunately happens within a family. But then something um, happened out of the ordinary. It got worse when a young gentleman came to town. And so here's a young gentleman, he arrives, he has a story that he is looking for uh, uh, to hang out with his family, He's a, <clears throat> he happens to be a cousin, and as he arrives he sees this well that needs to be taken care of, and then the most beautiful sight he's ever seen, Rachel comes, and his heart starts beating, and he says, that's Rachel, hey, how come we not move in this rock? Well, we're waiting till the things gather. He says, I'm not going to wait. And almost in a, in a desire to impress Rachel, he moves this boulder out of the way so that way they could water their sheep. And he's immediately trying to impress. In fact, he runs up and probably not acceptable today, but he goes up and kisses her right away. You're beautiful. Who are you? Oh, hey, I happen to be family. And so she took off, runs home, tells her dad Laban, hey, this guy came and he says he's family. And let me tell you, he's good looking and he's strong and he's handsome. And this is great. So Laban brings him in. And as Laban brings him in, they spend some time together. Uh, Jacob ends up working for a month. And finally, Laban, who is no fool. Now, one of the characteristics of Jacob is that he is a liar, 
He's a manipulator. He loves to do things to get his way. He feels justified. In fact, as we've studied before, he wasn't concerned about being a liar. He just didn't want to seem like a liar. He just didn't want to get caught. And so now he's met his match with his uncle who happens to be a liar and a manipulator. And as he's been watching the last month, he's been watching Jacob and Rachel get twiddle-pated. He watches their sparkly eyes and watching at dinner as they just look at each other's eyes and Rachel sighs and dreams. He's probably heard about how Rachel has just been dreaming about Jacob all over the place. So Laban understands he wants to capitalize on this. So he goes, boy, we're family. There's no use of you working for me for free. So name your wages. What do you want? What can we get for you? Let's pick it up in verse number 16. Uh, verse number 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. So here they come to the agreement. They sit together. Laban says, son, I need to pay you for something. What can I do to get some wages? Let's get a contract going. And Jacob thinks about her and says, you know, I'll serve you for seven years for Rachel. Sold, man. You know, one of the things that we saw before is that God promised to bless Jacob. And as God blesses Jacob, that means God is also going to be blessing Laban, who catches the splatter effect of the blessings. And he's already watched in the last month how things have worked out. And he says, I want this guy. So when Jacob says, seven years, I'll serve her to get the opportunity to marry your daughter. He says, sold. No problem. Now, what kind of dedicated young man is this? He's willing to wait seven years to marry the girl of his dreams. He's willing to stick around and work hard for the girl of his dreams. Notice as the Bible describes this in verse number 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed but to, hit, or to him but a few days for the love he had to her. So he says, it's no problem. She is well worth it. I love her so much. I'm willing to labor. And those seven years flew by like nothing. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to marry her. This is going to be great. And he works hard for her. But then comes the twist. So the wedding day comes. Jacob says to Laban, verse 21, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. So Jacob's been marking the days on his calendar. Hey, seven years are up. Let's get this done. Let's have the wedding. No problem. And so Jacob throws, uh, uh, Laban throws a big party. And he throws it in the late afternoon so that way it turns night. But Laban's saying, you know what? It's been seven years. I don't want this young man to marry my daughter and take off. 
Let's come up with a plan. And he came up with a pretty evil plan. And so he planned it. So the wedding feast was at evening. And the wedding was going to happen at night. But Laban needed to pull his twist. And so what he does is he locks Rachel away. Puts her away. And then he has to have a conversation with Leah. Leah, I want you to marry Jacob. But Rachel's supposed to marry him. No, 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 no. Listen, you do what I tell you or I'm going to turn you out. I want you to go in her place. Now, in the uh, ancient culture back then where they were at, when a bride would get married, they would have a veil that you couldn't see through. It was just dark and then it was dark at night. So what I want you to do is I want you to get Rachel's wedding dress and I want you to get into it. I want you to get her veil and I want you to wear it. And then after the party and then we keep Jacob distracted, I want you to go into the place that we have prepared for you. Now, in those ancient customs, what would happen is that when uh, husband and wife, after they get married, getting ready to consummate the marriage, they wouldn't turn on any lights or light anything. They would uh, go through a ceremony and whatnot as soon as they got back where they could not see anything. Um, just one of those weird things that they did. And so um, Laban's planning for all of this. Let's make it so he doesn't even, girl, don't you dare open your mouth. Girl, don't you dare spoil any of this. If you do, you're getting turned out. Can you imagine being put in a position here where your dad pulls you aside and says you're going to trick your your sister's fiance and that you can't tell anything? I mean, you say, well, she's guilty of it. Yeah, but she's also in a rough position. I mean, what is she going to do? And so they have the wedding ceremony. You could imagine the bride coming, dress, veil. Nobody knows it's someone different. She comes up. He says, wilt thou? And she wilts, he wilts, and they get married. And she hasn't said anything. They have the festivities. They're having a party and all this stuff. And she doesn't say anything. Finally, during the wedding night, can you imagine how difficult it would be when he thinks he has Rachel and he's telling her, I can't wait. I've served you for seven years. You're the girl of my dreams and we're going to have great hopes. We have a great future together. And she couldn't say a thing. And finally, the next morning, let's see what happens. Verse number 22. And Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. And it Came to pass in the evening, he, Laban, took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his daughter Leah, Zelpha, the maid, for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Could you imagine what a rude awakening that would be when Jacob rolls over? And that is not Rachel. That is Leah. You'd imagine how frustrated and angry he is. And by the way, who probably got the brunt of that? Leah probably did. And so Laban, Laban's going to get an earful. And he, Jacob, went to Laban. What is this thou hast done to me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban says, oh, it must not be uh, so done in our country to give the younger to the firstborn. <laughs> 
Fulfill the week that we will receive this also for the service which thou serve for me yet another seven years. So, can you imagine how hot Jacob is marching up to his daddy-in-law? Listen, what did you do? That's not Rachel. I made an agreement for you. And Laban, all innocence. Let me tell you, the custom, the law of our country is that the older has to get married first. Nobody married her. She has to be married off first. But you know what? We'll make another deal. You go ahead and fulfill her week. You go ahead and obligate her week. Then you could get married to Rachel and you could work for me another seven years to work off your wife. Can you imagine this? He went in for seven years. Now he has to work 14 years just to get the one that he wanted. Now, they had a honeymoon week and probably Jacob fulfilled the letter of the law, if not the spirit. You imagine how bitter he started to get towards Leah. Upset, the whole thing went on and she's the one that gets the blunt. This is not a fun story. It's a heartbreaking story, especially for her. So Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And he, Laban, gave him, Jacob, Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave Rachel to his daughter, Bilia, his handmaiden, to be her maid. And he went into Rachel and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served him yet another seven years. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Leah know that her husband did not love her? Yes. And so now she's in a marriage that she did not want. She's in a marriage with another woman that's also her sister who gets all the accolades and she's left out. She had to be part party to a manipulation and the guy that she's now married to resents her for it. Poor Leah. Brokenhearted, hurting Leah. But you know, God never forgot Leah. And God had a plan. God knew what he was going to do. And so, if you don't mind, as we see this, not only here, Leah's hurts. But now let's look at Leah's hopes. Leah's hopes. Now, Leah never stopped hoping that sooner or later that her husband would finally love her. And her hope here, we could see, goes into four phases. The measure of her hopes was actually found in the names of her children. So notice, <coughs> as it goes on, notice if you don't mind in verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb and Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Now let me pause here. As far as we can tell, that Leah was the more spiritual of the two sisters. That Leah, she listened to Jacob when he explained that God promised to Abraham. That God made promises to Isaac. And that God had made promises to Jacob. And she listened and she had applied it and accepted it in her life. Whereas Rachel, she still served false gods. Later on, we can see that as they are running from Laban, that she actually steals her daddy's false idols because she still served them. And so some Bible scholars who studied such things, they believe that Leah was God's will for, uh, for Jacob 
all the time. But Jacob wasn't interested in God's will. He wanted the girl he wanted. And so now things are getting complicated. God has allowed things to happen through human stupidity. So he could still get the lineage he wanted. And the lineage went through Leah. But here God is blessing Leah. Whereas Rachel is now barren. Remember childbearing was a very big deal. Especially in the ancient world according to the promises. So she has the firstborn son. So she has the privilege first of all of having the firstborn son. But with that (coughs) she also said. Uh, Reuben's name means see a son. And she said, surely the Lord has looked upon me, upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Notice what her hope was. Her hope was now that I brought him a son, I brought him a boy, I brought him his firstborn. Now that I have a son, surely the Lord will bless me. And my husband will finally love me. That was her hope that because of this, maybe finally Jacob will love her. Well, as time goes on, she has a second son. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 33. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me a son also. And she called his name Simon, Simeon. Now, Simeon means hearing. And she says, God has heard my prayer. He's given me another son. And because he's heard me now, probably, maybe, my husband will finally love me. Can you see the hope that she has? She just wants her husband to love her. And she's putting her hope that these children will finally trigger something in his life. Well, that doesn't work. And she has a third son. Notice, if you don't mind, in 34. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time my husband will be joined to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. Her hope in the Lord has dissolved. So she doesn't even mention the name Lord in here. But she says, Now my husband will be joined to me. Now my husband is stuck with me. I've given him three of them. Now he's just going to at least pay attention to me. My, my hope is that my husband will finally acknowledge me and love me. And then she has a fourth son, verse 35. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and left bearing. In verse number 35, we could see that her hopes now in the Lord, back on the Lord, she actually mentions, I will praise the Lord. He's given me a son. And we have Judah. Now she has four sons. Rachel has zero if you're keeping track. And she's hoping that each one of these sons are going to prove that she is worth it. That her husband will finally pay attention to her. By the way, God is blessing Leah that she has the firstborn son, Reuben. She also has the son that's going to come from the lineage of priesthood. The Levites come from Leah. And then the kingly line, the lineage of Christ line, the line that David's going to come from is from Judah. All three of these come from Leah. And God's going to have these special lineages come from her, the one that's hated. Well, the first phase was this hopeful phase that she's uh, very much hoping that her husband will pay attention to her. But then we come to the second phase, which is the dormant phase. 
Notice if you don't mind in verse, chapter 30 verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and said, Am I in God's steed who are stead who hath withhold thee the fruit of thy womb? Now, if you can imagine, living with one woman is tough enough. But here, here Jacob has two. And can you imagine that household? They probably put them in different wings, if not different household, or houses altogether, because putting them together would not go well. And here's Jacob. Jacob goes to see Rachel, and Rachel, my stupid sister, I hate my sister, I hear, and just complaining about her sister. He goes over to Leah's place, and Leah's like, why don't you love me? Why don't you pay attention to me? And Jacob's like, well, this is a no-win situation. I think I'm going to go to the field and go work. Can you imagine how rough? No one's happy. Everyone's miserable. So what do you do when everyone's miserable? You put gas on the fire. Notice with me in verse number three. And she, Rachel, said, Behold my maid Bilia, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees that I shall have children by her. And she gave him Bilia, her handmaiden, to wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilia conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Now again, as if things were not worse, let's put another woman involved. Let's have a woman who is going to act as a proxy, as a replacement for Rachel, so she could have children on Rachel's behalf. Not going to work well. And so Rachel finally gets a child through another lady, and she goes, listen, God has judged me. Now notice the name of God here. It is not the personal name of God, Lord, Jehovah. It is the official title for God. She doesn't have a personal relationship with God. She's just mimicking it. God's heard me and now I've got a son and we have Dan whose name means judging. That God has finally judged me appropriate to have children. Well, this is not going to work well. Verse 7, And Bilia, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister. And I have prevailed. Nice household, right? I have a son and I've finally proven that Leah's not the only woman around here. I've got another son and I'm naming him Wrestling or Nephtali. Nephtali means wrestling. My stupid sister... You can imagine what a relationship these two sisters had now. I've wrestled. I showed her. And so this second son by proxy came out. Oh, can it get any more complicated? Verse number nine. And when Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpha, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. And Zilpha, Leah's maid, bare son. So, all right, you've thrown gas in the fire. You have two sisters that are married to the same guy. Horrible relationship. They hate each other. They're fighting against each other. So one of them throws in their handmaiden as a proxy. Well, what can we do to make this worse? Let the other one throw in their handmaiden. Now you've got four ladies involved. This is not a good household. Nobody's happy. Everyone's miserable. So Leah says, oh yeah, I'm going to show her. I can have uh, children through my 
my handmaiden as well. All right. So, and uh, notice if you don't mind in verse number 11. And Leah said, a troop cometh. And she called his name Gad, which means troop. He goes, listen, I've given my husband an army of sons. My sister can't do that. I've got an army of sons. And my husband's going to have to at least love me now because I've given him an army. Okay, things are not working out well. Notice in verse number 12. And Zilpha Leah's maid bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughter shall call me blessed. And she called his name Asher, which means happy. I'm happy now. Finally, I've got all these sons by me. I'm better than my sister. My husband will finally pay attention. So now we went through the first phase where she has hope. Now she was a dormant hope because she's not having kids. She's watching Rachel have kids. That hope is kind of dormant. Now we go to the third phase. The third phase is desperate. Now she gets desperate. Verse number 14. And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. Now, why is this such important? Because in the ancient world, people believed that they could take the roots of mandrakes and they could put them up into like a love potion, a fertility potion. And so when Rachel found out that there's these mandrakes here, I can make a fertility. I can finally have a son. So she goes to Leah and you can imagine the negotiation between these two sisters. Listen, I want those mandrakes. Mandrakes. Leah's like, I'm not just going to give them to you. All right, name your price. What is the price to be able to get these so I can get this love potion to be able to make it so I can have children? What's the price? Verse 15, and she, Leah, said to her, is it a small matter that thou wouldest taken my husband? All right, you can already see this isn't going well. Oh, so you want to take my husband. Is it a big deal? You're trying to take my husband. Now you want to come up with this love potion and make him more yours? Wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. Now they're prostituting out Jacob. They make an agreement. The two sisters agree together that in order to get this stuff to make a love potion so Rachel could have a baby, she's going to allow Jacob to spend a night with Leah. Complicated? Aren't you glad you're not in that household? Everyone's miserable. Everyone's grumpy. And now they're coming up with side deals. Can you imagine what Jacob was feeling like now with all of this nonsense going on? And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire because I've given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. Issachar. So here's another son, Issachar. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. And now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons And she called his name Zebulun. So here's son number six. In this, she goes, notice what she wanted in verse 20. God hath given me a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me. She's no longer wanting her husband to love her. She just wants her husband to dwell and pay attention to her. What an awful marriage that is. When now the husband doesn't even pay attention to the wife. And that's all she wants is Spend time with me. Pay attention to me. Show me. But again, his desire was towards the other wife. 
And finally, all hope was given up. Verse 21, and afterward she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now she's given these six sons and a daughter. She's done. (laughs) And she still can't get her husband to pay attention to her anymore. What an awful account. Well, notice as the story now turns, notice with me is Rachel now has a son. Verse 22, and God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened her womb and she conceived to bear a son and God had taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob went to Laban and finally asked permission to go. But now Joseph is born. And as Joseph is born, the bad thing about this is that Joseph is now treated as the firstborn. All the rest of the brothers and sister are no longer counting. Now because he got a child from the wife he loved, here is his favorite. Here is Joseph. And again, you see that in the counting of Joseph. Joseph is Jacob's favorite. Because he came from the wife he finally wanted. All the rest of them are not considered firstborn. They're now just considered something other. But this is my boy. This is the one. Can you imagine how that made the rest of the family feel? Can you imagine what a heartbreak that would be to Leah. When here's Jacob making a big deal out of this boy. I finally got a boy. And the rest of the kids are looking at each other. This is my boy. No wonder. Later on, there was such a hatred towards the brothers, towards that one boy. Because of how dad treated this whole scenario. And Rachel's finally saying, see, I was woman enough after all. And by the way, she, she had another son. But this time, Rachel gave birth and died giving birth to the son, Benjamin. Now we come to the rest of the story. If Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin, who was now in charge of raising all of the kids? That would be Leah. She raised these kids up for herself. By the way, it was Leah that took Joseph and put him aside and taught him about God. And taught him about following after God. And standing for God. And by the way, didn't she do a good job as Joseph was away from everyone else. And he stood for the Lord when he didn't even see another believer the entire time. That he stand faithful. She was the one that invested and taught him morality. And taught him to run when a woman wants to have advantage. She taught him and she invested in him. Well, of course, some time passed. Turn with me if you don't mind to Genesis chapter uh, 49. Here we have a heartbreaking account. A heartbreaking account of a family that's broken, that's troubled. Just a a mind-blowing situation where nobody is happy. Rachel is passed. Leah is now raising the kids. And by the way, from that point on, there's no competition. Leah is the only mother. When Joseph has visions later on, and he has a dream about the sun and the moon and the stars, that moon was Leah, his stepmother, that he dreamed about. All of that was Leah investing in him. Now when Jacob is old and is getting ready to die, he's giving instructions. They're living in Egypt now. And he tells Joseph and the rest of his brothers, 
Don't bury me here. Let's pick it up in verse number uh, 49. Chapter four, Genesis 49. Notice with me in verse 31. He's giving the, the uh, where and the location where to bury him. And in verse 31, Jacob speaking. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. And there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. When he's getting ready to die, he says, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want you to take me to the cave where I buried Leah. And I want you to bury me next to Leah. And when he died, the last name on his lips was Leah. Was Leah. It wasn't Rachel. It was the wife he spent time with. You said, this is horrible. What are we supposed to get out of this? What we get out of this is that there's hope. Now again, where we place our hope is important. You could put your hope in a spouse and it never come to fruition. You could put your hope in situations and it never comes to pass. But let me tell you, you put your hope in God. And God knows from the end of beginning. It was through Leah that God designed and put through the, the priestly line of the Levites that came through Leah. That the kingly line of David, of Solomon, of all the lineage, and David came through Leah. Now, did Leah know all of this coming in? She did not. But did God know what he was doing? Yes. You see, we always have to put our hope in God. Because in our situation, in our life, it may not seem to work out. But God can always be trusted. You understand we live in a world that's falling apart faster and faster and faster. And if you have not already figured out, you cannot put your hope in government. If you haven't already figured out, you can't put your hope in people. You can't put your hope in children. You can't put your hope in a spouse. Because they will let you down. They will fail you. But God will never fail. He's the one you have to place your hope into. He's the one that you can trust. And God sees the whole picture. And he could put the in from the beginning. And even things that we don't even see, God does. And he could put them all straight. And he knows how to run the lineage. And again, you wouldn't even know that. If you told this to Leah when she was alive, first of all, she probably wouldn't believe you. But second of all, don't you think that would have been somewhat of a comfort? But she didn't get that. But does she know it now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we look at that, she's probably saying the same thing we do. Only God could have done this. Only God could have put it together. And so the question I'm asking you, dear friend, is what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your trust in? You know, some people even deal with the idea of salvation. That they're putting their hope in that they're a good person. I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I try to do good things. And by the way, I believe you. But you know, being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. Some people say, well, I'm religious. I'm putting my faith and trust in my religion. Let me tell you, religion doesn't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven? It's that Jesus Christ does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. You understand that you can't even put your hope in a prayer 
that you say. Because a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. What do we mean by this saving? Well, we understand that first of all, that heaven is a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. There's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. But what really makes heaven worth going there is that God is there. That Jesus is there. And everything that the Bible describes about God and Jesus is that they are holy, holy, holy. We could say it like this, that they are perfect, perfect, perfect. But the problem is, dear friend, is that we're not perfect. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, there is none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, because we've disobeyed God, because we've broken God's law, we deserve death. We deserve to be separated from God. And when we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. But God never intended a single human to go to that awful place called hell. And that's why God robed himself in flesh and came on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. He died on the cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then he rose again to live forevermore. When he arose again the third day, it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was God and it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. And that all that is left is for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is ask God for that gift. And he promised that he would save you. A prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. We're putting our hope and faith and trust in him. And so dear friend, the most important thing is I'm asking you today. Is what are you putting your hope in? In the idea of salvation. What are you putting your hope in to get you to heaven? It is not your works. It's not your religion. It's not how good you are. How great of a smile. What family lineage you have. What a great house you have. How much money you have. It's all centered on the one thing. Are you putting your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? Dear friend, let me tell you that if your hope is in anything else... Let me tell you the greatest thing that you could do today is to get it settled. It'd be my privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven if you put your faith and hope in Jesus. He is the only one that lasts. For those of you who are saved, let me tell you, what are you putting your faith and hope in in your life? Are you putting your faith and hope in your family, your job, your work, your money? Let me tell you, those things will all fail you. You need to put your faith and hope in Jesus, and Jesus will never fail you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, 
please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.